When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, it's David here and I'm very excited to be joined today by a man who needs no introduction but he's going to get one anyway, a man who's in the SFA Hall of Fame who represented his country at three World Cups, something I don't think many of the current generation will ever get to experience, who then as a player won every single domestic trophy in Scotland but also the European Cup Winners' Cup and the European Super Cup. As a manager, he led Motherwell to their highest place finish of all time. Uh, he then went to Hibs and took them from Division 1 straight back into the, cha- uh, into the Premier League before moving to Rangers where he had a rather successful spell we're about to get into, including seven trophies including a treble, including two unbelievable last-day league wins, including a last-minute Scottish Cup final victory over Celtic, and taking Rangers to the last 16 of the Champions League, our highest-ever finish in that tournament. And that was before he then went to Scotland, taking Scotland within seconds of reaching a major tournament, the closest that they've been in decades, and topping it all off, if that wasn't enough, by taking Birmingham into the Premier League and winning them a trophy, the League Cup. Uh, There are other things to talk about, but obviously, as a Rangers podcast, we are here today to discuss that in the main with the man himself, Mr Alex McLeish. Alex, thank you for joining us today. Great, it's a pleasure, guys. Glad to be on. Now, last night, uh, as we record this, we watched uh, Rangers uh, take on Dunfermline in that 6-1 game, that memorable 2003 match. And uh, I must admit, Alex, you uh, you you caused a lot of tension that day. Uh, I I remember <laughs> sweating a great deal what, uh, in the stadium. Yeah, well, it was just a phenomenal day uh, all round, and the, the week up leading up to it was um, keeping up a, a huge, hugely high tempo um, as as quick as we could. Uh, getting the ball into good forward areas, getting balls in the box. The more we get in there, the more we felt we had great chances because we we went pretty harem scaring in terms of the front guys. It was almost like four strikers up front, uh, and, and it was a four-two, almost four-two-four. Or we we did keep keep a hold of Fernando a wee bit, so possibly four-three-three. But uh, the other three three guys were. Superb uh, in terms of um, front players in, in a world stage. 
Kanija and the boring Arva Ladsy. Mm. The, uh, I was watching some of the finishing last night, it was brilliant. But we'll, we'll come to that. Let's go back right to to the start, Christmas 2001. Um, Dick Advocat announces that he's moving upstairs and within the week you were introduced to the fans at Ibrook. Was it, I know that having spoken to Dick Advocate since then, he said that he'd been kind of keeping an eye on you for a while at this point, and that he had said to David Murray, he's the guy. Had he let you know that, or was it a very quick process? It was a very quick uh, process. David, um, uh, you know, Murray was in full agreement with, with Dick, or whether it was David's idea. I don't know. Maybe they, they threw it between each other. And anyway, Dick... Um, you know, had said that he, he just couldn't get any more out of the players, and uh, it, you know, it was it was my turn now. And uh, <laughs> you know, I thought, well, when David made that phone call to me and, and said, "Hey, actually, his first his words were, I bet he didn't know you didn't yeah, think you would get this call,' you know." <laughs> and I said, "No, you're absolutely right. I thought my my um, destiny might be." to move down to the Premier League in England, you know, if I was looking to be ambitious because it looked like Rangers were, um, you know, employing the top foreign managers and I thought that that would be an ongoing process. But uh, when when I got the, the call, it was uh, an incredible uh, surprise and one that, that made me and my family so proud. Alex, that, that squad had been through the ringer a wee bit um, and morale was, was probably very low, I would imagine. So I assume when you came in, you were told that the, the amount of money that was spent in the kind of two years before that, we wouldn't be able to sustain that, that same level. So was it more about man management and good players and, and making some tactical improvements that you thought would help them out too and just kind of get them going again? Yeah, you, you know, you know we, when, when you look at the dressing room and when I arrived, we'd already invested in that, that big squad. So to, to go and splash money at it, and, and when I already had uh, amazing players in that squad as it was when I when I t- arrived, then you know there wasn't a r- really any need to splash out cash. And uh, the only acquisition we, we did get was, was Arteta. Um, who'd already been in the system. I, I wasn't the one that scouted them, although I did send Andy Watson just as a final to see if we, we, we could um, be convinced that Mikel could fit in uh, the, the way we played. And, uh, you know, he played an un, not an unfamiliar role, but it, he, because he was just still a young lad learning his, his trade and he had such good feet. He was quick, quick enough and we felt that he would be more suited to an attacking role rather than a holding midfielder, which he famously, you know, became in his um, English years in Everton and Arsenal. And so, yeah, that was the only acquisition, and um, I, I didn't feel the necessity to to go and get new faces because, you know, when I looked around that dressing room, I, I was looking at people, players who had played in a World Cup semi final. Mm for Holland and um, other great players from different nations and uh, including our, our very own Barry Ferguson who uh, was was a fantastic player on that final day not only that final day but as you know his career with Rangers was pretty glorious Alex, one thing that uh, looking back that I find very interesting especially with this kind of modern manager thing about 
they all seem to have a philosophy and they seem to have a style of play and they never ever deviate from it. At Hibs, you'd had a, a very successful time there playing a kind of 3 5 2 with, I remember, two wing backs. I think Lawson was one and uh, uh, Dela Cruz on the other side. Um, but you came to Rangers and, and you didn't come in and say, this is how I play. You sort of looked at the squad and went, right, what what can I do to get the best out of this? Is this something that, that you feel is maybe getting lost a wee bit by modern standards where everybody seems to have one way of playing and that's it? Yeah, well, well I mean, I have seen a few a few teams mixing up a wee bit, you know. Um, some teams have played the three Man United. I know they're, they're, they're not the Man United that, that um, they were when Sir Alex was in charge. But they, you know, they seem to be coming back a wee bit. But uh, in saying that, you know, they've tried four, four, two, four, three, three, four, uh, three at the back as well. And a lot of a lot of people kind of um, playing it now and again when they, they think that you know you know the tactics call for it. So it's, I think it is um, good to be flexible in terms of uh, changing it around a wee bit. But I, I you know, we when I was at Hubs, um, Frank. So as they came, uh, a brilliant French internationalist and played with Marseille, won the European Cup, and um, Frank Frank was playing midfield, and I felt that we were four four two, and I, I felt that it wasn't quite um, didn't quite have the legs, you know, in that particular time of his career, and it was then. That we we come up with the idea of playing three at the back and played Frank in the middle of the three because he just controlled the whole team and and he's 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 a possession of the ball and he's long passing you know he could put a fifty yarder on a um, I was going to say a sixpence <laughs> but I don't think the listeners will know what a sixpence is uh, on a fifty pence piece you know and. Um, he, he, he just a genius and, and a wonderful, wonderful footballer, and it just transformed our whole team, uh, turning the three five two. As you say, we uh, Dela Cruz on the right. We had the other players playing in that position before Dela Cruz. Um, Lovell played there, but also Ulrich Larson on the other side was was an absolute machine. So, yeah, it was. But uh, anyway, back to Rangers, and when I came in. Um, you, you know, I looked around this and I thought, wow, well, um, how can I not get something out of these players? Let them express themselves and uh, let's play the game a wee bit faster rather than trying to walk it into the net and see if we can get the ball forward quicker. You know, passing on the deck because they were all players of that quality. And and if the long ball was was effective enough, then. You know, it's a long, it's a long pass. We didn't call it a long ball, and uh, you know, you know. So there was a, a lot of a, a couple of tactical tweaks. We we then also decided that when Celtic were playing three at the back, we decided to go with three up against them. And I thought, well, we've got to take a, a few risks here, and we we worked very hard with the back four to uh, compensate for that you know and get across the pitch very quickly forget about the, the wing back are we up on the other side we can always get back out there and it worked to a treat in, in those um, first few Celtic games that we've played 
I guess that, like you said, that that Celtic team um, were pretty three-five-two. They were so dominant, but but physically dominant as well. Our squad was was full of small technical players. Really, um, it was obvious that we couldn't match them physically. So I guess you need to come up with a, another way of uh, solving the problem. Yeah, well, well, that was very evident in the the cup final, you know, of two thousand and two, when Peter scored the winner and. We 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 lost two goals, set pieces, and and that was a, a wee weakness for us against Celtic. And you know, so the the, the war cry was quite simply: listen, if they score two, we've got to score three. If they <laughs> score one, we have to score two. You know, it's it, it, it was that philosophy, and we did have the ammunition within the team to do that, as was proved on on that. Uh, particular era in that era Alex one thing about this this I, I wanted to, to take you back to the League Cup semi-final that year because a lot of Rangers fans myself included we really felt that was a turning point and looking back because Celtic had been gubbing us really for about two years by this stage and mm-hmm. there was a game at Ibrox in September of that season when Advocat was in charge where they beat us two 0 when they didn't break sweat, and you just looked at the Rangers team and thought they don't they don't believe they don't think they can beat them. Um, yeah. And then we went into that semi final at Hamden, very much the underdogs, and Rangers were fitter. We outlasted them. We were stronger. And again in the cup final, which was on the TV last week and and watched the full ninety minutes, the last half an hour. Rangers are getting stronger and stronger and stronger and Celtic are tiring. Did you feel that you had the edge on them in terms of fitness? Was it something that you worked on especially? No, not, not such. I, I mean, obviously Dick Advocat was his own um, style of coaching and training, uh, methods and drills and exercises. We, um, we, we just, you know, worked on sharpness really. It was more... It was more sharpness that time of the season, especially going in at that time. You, I couldn't put the players through a, like a, a, a grilling kind of mid-season um, workouts. Um, certainly back in the day in my Aberdeen days, Alec Ferguson used to take us for a you know, warm weather training and between games. You know, if we played say St Mirren on the Saturday, we'd leave and, and fly out to Marbella or or. Um, Mallorca the next day and, and train for a few days and you know we, we'd obviously get a wee bit of relaxation as well and boss would give you a night out and then it was a, a night supervised with staff we always knew when we come back we were we were going to get the headlines if we didn't win and it would have been <laughs> away in a jolly but we, we tended to come back and, and have a and, and win those games but but we didn't go away and, and do a powerful pre-season it, it Sir Alex would call it a top-up, you know, a, a top-up. But So that stage when I went in up in December, it was more about getting the sharpness back for the guys. And also, like, let's face it, confidence. Mm. Confidence is everything in football. Uh, and, yeah, and you just, you see you see some teams, you think they're not going to be beaten for five years. You see Man City uh, playing Liverpool a couple of years ago, you see they, they, Liverpool never beat them. They're so good. And then City go through a wee rut, and, and then Liverpool improve incredibly well, and, and you know they've been a huge force this season. You know, obviously the the COVID nineteen uh, craziness has has 
bring brought everything to a halt. But yeah, I mean, it was more getting getting confidence back in the players. You know, I the, the first uh, training session, you, you know, we're running around around the pitch. Um, in those days, I was able to join in with the boys, and uh, I, you know, running around talking to one or two, just just getting to know some of them and then trying to make them relax and you know equally um, give them the stature that they, they, they deserve and the platform and so I'll give you an example I was jogging with Ronald it came to the, the middle of the, the, the uh, um, squad and I started to talk to him about some of the games I'd seen when he played with Ajax you know and and um, Ronald never really commented at the time, but you know, a few months later, somebody had said to me, Ronald was astonished about how much he knew about his career, you know, and um, the games, individual games. You know, I, I think I quoted a, a game where they played in the semi final of European Cup against Panther High Cost. They lost in Amsterdam 1 0, but they battered them over in, in Athens, where a magnificent um, performance of total football, where you know Van der Sar, who was who was the forerunner of the goalkeepers who played the ball out for the back, and you know to see him standing like ten yards outside his right hand post or his left hand post to receive a pass by. You know, <laughs> back in the day when we were playing, your gaffers would have went apoplectic. You know, what's he doing away out there? You know, hmm. and stay in the middle of your goals and. Uh, but those were the days of passbacks, and you could pick the ball up. But um, that that was that was just getting into some heads. Amaruso had fallen out with Dick a wee bit, and Dick wasn't playing him. And my mission was to get him fit. He was injured at the time, and back into that team to be a driving force, which um, he, he, he certainly was through my tenure. It must, and you mentioned they're getting the players fitter and obviously some tactical tweaks, etc. But then you've kind of mentioned as well, it obviously goes beyond that as well. And is it just a case of trying to deal with people one-on-one and finding out what makes them tick, what could get them a little bit better um, attuned and a bit more ready to go? I think we kind of seen it with when, when Stephen Gerrard came in um, two years ago. We were beaten before we went on the park sometimes and he's changed it all around with more quality players and a clear tactical idea but you can see kind of mentality and belief coming to the fore as well is that something that you think is is becoming more important now yeah excuse me that was a big um well i I am a bit a big advocate of uh, of advocate advocate (laughs) advocate of of advocate of um one-to-ones and and i did uh, do a lot with the, the players individually you know to to try and empower them and to get them to believe in themselves. Look, what you've already done, you've already showed me that evidence that you can do that. And we, you know, we put the video guys getting the analysis out and showing them, you know, just what these guys had achieved in the past before they had this bad, bad we run um, under Celtic's powerful new team. Um, and also a lot of, you know, great, Technical players in the Celtic team as well, so um, yeah, the the one to ones was something that, that I felt was really important, and I did I did it at almost every club that I was at. 
we spoke to Lorenzo Amoruso on the site and he did an interview with us and something that, that came out very strongly was when we asked about obviously what had gone on under Advocate and then when you came in and he said the difference was Alex treated you like a man and he said that the players collectively would, wouldn't even need at times um, like a team talk. He said, you know, you mentioned there about letting the players uh, go away for uh, for a, a short trip and then you coming back thinking, right, we need to get the victory. Uh, he told us about a time, I think it was a Boxing Day fixture, and you told them on Christmas Eve, look, I'll give you Christmas Day off, but you've got to win, basically. If you don't, then <laughs> I can't do this again. And Amo said to us that, see the dressing room that day, you would have thought it was a Champions League final. The boys were... You know, we would have ran through a wall and we went out and won four nil. He said it could have been eight or nine. But was that a conscious thing at first? Do you can you do that until they maybe don't do it for you and then you have to be a bit more draconian? Or was it as I say a conscious thing to say, No, I'm gonna treat them more like adults and see if they respond to that? Yeah, well that that was really the, the whole key in in those decisions. And by and large, in all my managerial jobs i i um had that kind of ruling and you know i said look you, you know i don't want to bring in christmas day and you know be great if, if if you can enjoy it with your families but you have to play the game professionally in terms of uh you know watching and take of alcohol shouldn't be any really 24 hours before a game, but you, you can imagine one or two of the lads having a glass of wine with, with a Christmas dinner and, and their family. So, but needless to say, they they were so professional, and uh, they, they, they the next day and and it was a wee bit of a war cry, I, I would imagine in the dressing room because we used we used to do it ourselves. As I said when we come back from that summer break, we used to be on the plane on the Friday saying, "Look, we've got a night out this week, guys. We can't even be going out on Saturday with a hangover. We must win this next game when we 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 play on Saturday." And we 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 flew back on the Thursday, and I don't remember us ever losing a game coming back from the warm winter training, and that was a kind of similarity um, in terms of the Christmas stuff and and, and um, as Amo said, the whole dressing room were ramping and said look you know, he's, he's given us this this um, you know, kind of decent treatment in mm. terms of treating us all like, like adults and making sure that we behave like adults and they did and, and you know, they come back and Again, I, I kind of look back and say we we had a nightmare the, the next day, but um, I certainly the ones that I remember, <laughs> everything went well. Were there any players that um, you that surprised you in the sense that you maybe had a, a preconceived idea of them either before you joined Rangers or before <coughs> they they joined in the early years, and then um, once you got working with them, you kind of completely changed your opinion or you decided they weren't quite what you thought they were. Well. Um, Mikey Moss had gone through some some bad mm. Um, mm. a bad period in terms of his his uh, I think it was was it Crusher he, he yeah. went to Holland and got it done uh, and he didn't look the same Mikey Moss and there was a couple, couple of wee things and I was playing him in the reserves and um, just trying to get him back to to what he was and there was one little thing 
cricket and, and me when we played a reserve game at Dumbarton and Dumbarton counter-attacked the reserve team and um, this Michael Malls ran like chased 50 yards back and recovered the ball and you know it just it, it made me think uh, listen, never mind if Michael has lost a, a certain um, sharpness in his movement or his turns, his brilliant turns. He, he that, that guy really cares. Look what he's doing for the reserve team. You know, a lot of the guys were going to the reserve team and not, you know, not move a muscle and say, I, can't, I, I should be playing for the reserves. But I, I felt that, you know, Michael just needed to... Um, try and get him, get his mind back to never giving up. And that day, I thought that guy really cares. I'm going to put him in, in the team again. And he came back and he had some magnificent performances. Now I knew he was already a brilliant player, but just that wee spell, I thought, is Michael, is he done? And uh, it proved to me that day that just just with that gesture of chasing back 50 yards, recovering a ball, and and uh, then you know it wasn't a beautiful skill or anything that I seen. It was just that sheer mentality. He's he's saying to me, "I'll show you," you know. Mm. And then when he came back into the team, he recovered um, a, a lot of his mobility, and uh, he you know he was doing those little make him all turns, you know the fainting to the to the, the left or fainting to the right and swivelling on a defender. He was back to that again and he scored some really vital goals for us in his comeback. Uh, so, I mean, that was a, a real um, kind of eye-opener. He was already a great player, but uh, we just needed to get him back to um, his, just about his best again. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two big what-ifs running about this time for me and one of them is obviously Moses' injury and the type of player um, he went on to be was obviously different to, to what he would be now but the other one for me is, is George Alberts leaving um, before you came in. I always felt that he would have been the type of player that you would have um, that you would have Not built sure. the team around almost. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was a real missed opportunity and you think when he left he was only 30. He could have been there right up to um, 2005, 2006 even? Uh, George, well, George was, was a, well, he is a legend and, uh, in, in that part of Glasgow as well. You know, I knew some, and I lived in Bearsden, I knew some of his close friends and, <laughs> and George just absolutely idolised Rangers. And, uh, you know, did he play, I think, he played just about one game, I think, maybe, or would, when I was um, was at Rangers no he, he left in the summer um, he regrets did, it he wishes he'd hung on us and also he that's hit, right it was, it was my last game. I think it was at Hibs and he, he scored the Easter Road and it was one of the last games and then he left yeah you're right and uh, but George you know I had, had to go get get on with what I had and um, you know George was would have been a great acquisition, I'm sure, for another year or so. But I, I know how how much he cares about the club. Uh, the, the other one who, who really surprised me was was Kanija. Because um, <clears throat> when watching Kanija playing for Argentina in a World Cup, you, you could obviously see it's class. But at that time, everybody was overshadowed by Maradona. 
and yeah, you, you know, you think, well, you know, he's not got the skills of Maradona, but when when I saw him in training and when I saw the the damage he done to, to to clubs in the last third, and especially that cup final, um, the league cup final when we we won two one in the yeah, the second season, and um, Canigio was just fantastic, a phenomenal. He, you know, he, he would get close defenders would get so close to him, and then he would just um, use his mobility and his his uh, his you know intense intensified speed yeah. and over over short distances. <laughs> I said, this guy is a far better player than I ever thought he was. You know, technically, not just not just about speed. I used to think it was just about speed, but technically, um, better than I ever thought. And and I'd seen him previously at Dundee as well. You know, and um, yeah, you know when he when he when I saw, when I get the chance to work with him, then I thought, oof. Well, he he's way higher up in my estimation than I ever imagined. Alex, the the first eighteen months are unbelievable. Um, something I'm sure people actually have forget that from when you took over uh, in the December to the end of the season, Rangers only lost one domestic match. Unbelievable, and when you think of the the way they've been playing before that. But then that following season, the treble season, we're going to talk about in some detail. Um, Craig Moore talked to us and did an interview and he said that in his whole career that's the only time that season and you think of all the great sides he played in he said where it wasn't a feeling of oh we're we're going to win it was how many are we going to win by every week he said just that was the attitude of that side it was he said we were so confident in a good way not not arrogant but he just said we knew if we all went out and did our job and that we all trusted each other um could you sense that momentum among that side of no they they're focused here they've got this yeah uh, absolutely and it's funny go we we said that we frequently talked about goal difference as well uh, you know throughout because we we all agreed at Celtic were a phenomenal side as well at that time and uh, even quoted people had quoted them as being the best team since Lisbon Lions um, and we said they, they won't lose many and we won't lose many but we have to concentrate on on uh, scoring goals and we have to be watertight at the back as well now to, to do both that for a team it's very difficult because sometimes when you're searching for goals, your centre backs start getting forward. You know, even guys like Craig Moore and and um, Amoruso start appearing midway into the opposition half. You know, <laughs> when you've got a team under the cosh and you're thinking, well, what if they break against us? You know, and but but the boys were were so bold and we we, we tried to have a bold attitude. And and I think it showed in terms of that season, and you know the amount of games where it, we we scored a few goals, and and, it, and that the thriller at the end of the season when when um, every second goal we we got um, more than Celtic in, in that game when they were playing against Colmarnock, 
to think that that was going to be the difference. There you go, you know, and, that, and so that was a factor, and it was something that we discussed. It's funny when you think literally, literally every goal counted, and we were watching that game last night, and you see Amaruso chasing down a ball and, and putting a cross in from from left wing um, to, to set up to set up one of the goals, and you think, well, well that tactical framework needs to allow that, and you need to allow your centre half the freedom to go and do that to to make that possible. Yeah, you know that that was quite, um, you know, one of the the, the phenomena in that game when you see Amaruso running up to the wide area. You know, I, I think it, I can't remember was it the result of a free kick or a corner anyway or something like that. So we've all been up there, and we've all stayed up there in the past and to to try and uh, get a goal. Uh, uh, you did it to goal. us in the eighty-two nineteen oh, eighty-two Scottish <laughs> Cup final. That, that was in my head, but I wasn't... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not forgiving you for that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, that was uh, Amoruso had, had uh, inspired that, that very moment. And, <laughs> and let's be honest, the, the crowd, the crowd, uh, it, it, you know, took inspiration for that as well. And, mm. you know, Amo knows that if he's going to do something for the team, that he's going to get... Um, Roundly applauded by the fans, and he, he you know, he, he, these guys thrive on that. And and uh, of course, Avrilati's finish was, oh, was just sublime. Yeah. So, uh, yes, that was the type of team that we were that season. That was the type of team, uh, type of style that we had to adopt because and, and Celtic had to do it as well. They had to try and score goals as many goals as they could in in all their games. We we dropped a point in the first. See the first game of the season against Kilmarnock and Celtic won, and then the next day it was is the league over. <laughs> and and uh, they said no, there's definitely no. There's going to be uh, twists and turns in this league this season, but we we're certainly going to have a great chance in it. And for me, I, I always felt it would go right to the wire. The only disappointment in that season was going out of Europe to Victoria and Zisco. But looking back, maybe with you know the benefit of hindsight, was that maybe not the worst thing that could have happened that year? <clears throat> well, you know, I still look back and think when we approached every game, we want to win every game. Yeah, you know, so it wasn't like a... A relief, but if you're at the end of the season, you, you might take it as that because possibly it's the likes of Ronald, for instance. Ronald uh, quit the year after with, um, you know, he's, it was too much for his knee, and maybe too many games for him in Europe might might have no no allowed us to to have him to do what he did in the league. Mm. So in the end, yeah, it, 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 you know, if that's what had to happen, then. For us to win that, then of course we take that absolutely. And the Zisco game was was a disappointment, not a, a, a high power team that um, we lost to. But uh, you know, sometimes you get these these upsets in European football, especially sometimes if the players think if they go out and think, well, you know, maybe we'll beat this team just by uh, doing doing their own thing and doing it at a lesser pace and and that was maybe the problem but in saying that you know you just cannot take away the season that they had um, um, sorry go on Adam go on. Right, I was going to say just to, to bring it back to, to present um, 
present time a little bit then Rangers have obviously had some excellent results in Europe over the last two seasons and overachieved I think both seasons but um, you kind of wonder given how the, the two domestic campaigns have went whether that's had a bit of an impact you mentioned there it's probably not possible to to manage uh, the Thursday-Sunday schedule and, and kind of prioritise one over the other you kind of have to just go with what game's coming up next don't you? Yeah <clears throat> you, know, you know Rangers this season phenomenal um showing in Europe and and and, and I guess the, the biggest disappointment is obviously when they, they they beat Celtic they go away from home and beat Celtic and then have a, a disappointing run of results again it was almost like a replica of last season and uh, you know dropping points here and there and Celtic uh, continue to win uh, this is, you know, I think everybody thought, and probably maybe even Stephen as well, but and and big Gary, um, two great friends, and they they would probably have thought, well, you know, we're not going to do what we done last season, but <clears throat> for some reason, you no, know, maybe not just quite strong enough at, at the moment, um, mentally and <clears throat> and possibly, excuse me, possibly one or two. Um, new acquisitions can help to make the difference, but you know that that's been the big disappointment this season. If if you're a Rangers fan, I remember thinking that that summer 2002. Um, obviously, Tori Andrew Flo left. I think he'd got he got quite a lot of goals the season before. I think it was 25 he managed to get in all competitions. But I remember thinking going into that that season that we were maybe a little bit light attacking wise, and we didn't have that that centre-forward that, that we maybe had before. But then we went on to just, just it was a, a fantastic tactic with so much kind of attacking intent. Was it a case that you wanted to... It was quite ahead of its time, I thought. You mentioned it was kind of 4-2-4, 4-3-3, but we had the two attacking full-backs. And then we had one defensive midfielder, I guess, if you want to call it that, but he didn't always play. Sometimes it was Fergus and Arteta who were naturally more attacking. Was that a kind of thing that you thought from the summer, we want to go with this and we want to have this high-energy football, or was it something that just kind of evolved as the season went, tactically? <clears throat> no, it, well, we felt we were and I had dialogue with Ronald De Boer with, about Mikel, because Ronald obviously had the Barcelona connection, <clears throat> and uh, he, was, he was telling me about what the coaches thought about Mikel and, and his, his quality, his ability, his, his um, good, good passing of the ball, and the the one thing that I said we, we spoke about the coaches and I, Andy Watson um, and and Jan Bowers, fantastic coaches and, and um, great to have them by my side. We <clears throat> we felt well, he's not going to be able to usurp Barry Ferguson. But Barry is, is was alone in that position. Is is the most outstanding, yeah player, not only the club but I would have said in the league in that position <clears throat> which uh, Mikel went on to have a, have a great career uh, playing more more of a holding role, Barry liked to get forward but he also could do, do both getting back as well um, Mikel um, likewise learned how to, to, to do those things late, later in his career but we, we, we thought about the dynamic and said that He's, he's quick. He's he's very quick with the ball. He's got good feet. 
what about him linking from you know the left side coming in and linking in with the forwards and uh, you know what the treat for us and, and Barry kind of marshalling the, just in front of the back four balls so taking his moments choosing the right moments to go forward and it just gave us such a a, a speedy dynamic playing uh, Mikel from that position and you know, we had we we obviously had the the choice of forwards that was incredible. Tory going was um, you know part of the, the process of of uh, you know the, the club maybe looking at the pennies and and uh, but that was we, we, we totally understood that and I felt that we we could handle that uh, and discussing with David and Martin Bain that. I could definitely, I definitely felt that we had the power and the players' quality to continue to score goals. And I think Barry had a power of goals that season. And Ronald De Boer, we instead of playing him at number ten, we we played him at number nine, which um, put the fear of of God into the <laughs> opposition players and defenders. Uh, so. Yeah, that that was we 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 made the make our minds up not to play Mikel in that um, kind of short the, the the just in front of the back four, but to play in a more dynamic attacking role. Alex, <laughs> that that summer the team unfortunately breaks up. Financial realities beginning to hit home at the club. I, I have to ask you: you've won five trophies out of five. You're playing this great football. Your team's been kind of sold out from under you. Was there a temptation on your part to maybe go, I should maybe look at my options here because your stock was incredibly high at this point and you must have been getting <laughs> quite a lot of glances yeah. from, from the Premiership down south? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, it's difficult to, to leave, just walk away from a, a, a phenomenon like, Glasgow Rangers, and um, having, I, I kind of thought, right, we're, we're going to have off the Scott to build again, and I, I had a previous experience of that at Motherwell, and I knew that if we didn't get the, you know, the the, the right players, and then the preparation was going to be difficult for the next season. And, and as a result, I think we did far too many deals in the summer, um, just leading up to the pre-season training, and it was just too late. You know, we we because it was difficult to to well, we didn't need to scout the players because they were all a lot of them were household names, but they were you know in the twilights of their career, and you know we for instance Capucho came back from winning a treble with uh, Jose Mourinho in Portugal and he had had an extended we had to get him extended holiday time and he was in Brazil for a couple of weeks and he came back he, he wasn't fit and it took us about two months to get um, Capucho to a better level and, he, and at, at that kind of moment we, we had uh, made made uh, decisions and no playing him and things like that and and just when I felt that he was probably uh, looking extremely fit again, <laughs> we we let him go. 
and yeah, so so that the preparation for that season. David um, recognised that, and at the end of the season, you know, we lost in the, the semi final to Hibs and penalties, and then uh, Dave, you know, David and Martin and I were sad down to the end, and it was uh, you know. I, you can easily lose your job in that, but David was was fair and said, uh, "Look, you haven't had a good deck of cards this season. Let's, um, you know, there's no way that you'll you'll be um, getting your jotters." And you know, it was great to hear that, and they they, they kept the faith. And um, the next season, we prepared well. We we did have a couple of players already tied up in January that. It served us so well in the coming season, um, Dado Pre-Show and Boomsong. And, and then we had made some other acquisitions later on in that season, as you know, which led to, to last day celebrations also. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, to, to lose all those players in one fell swoop after winning the treble was, was a sore one. I think it's well. I think it's 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 a kind of double edged sword. And if you think you're losing all those players that you think Newman, Kinesia, Amoruso, McCann, Barry Ferguson, David Hero, Dan Egan, um, the the only one that came in was was Nuno Capucho for for money. Everyone else, as you mentioned, was kind of freeze. Is that difficult? I guess as you as you get through the summer and you're maybe coming back to pre season. You mentioned they all come in a wee bit later on. Is that kind of quite challenging? And you think you're almost running out of time a little bit? Yeah, um, we 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 were. You know, chasing the clock already, and uh, you know, trying to get a, a system, get players used to each other, and get trying to get a rhythm, um, which which uh, made it really difficult. And yet, as you know, we well we tried to keep a philosophy of winning every game that we went into. There was there was no real, you know, in Europe we, we were a wee bit different, but there was no no kind of real thoughts of saying, right, let's sit back against Aberdeen and then hit them in a counter-attack. We never really had that, those kind of thoughts and we always felt that the Rangers are expected to win. They're one of the unique clubs in the world where the fans demand and, and Rangers demand that you win every single week. And we we probably at times were, were a wee bit exposed um, maybe legs-wise, you know, some of the players, as I said, Emerson came in, he was a fantastic um, technician, but he, he he didn't have the legs anymore and just at the back end of his career and, and one or two others. But in saying that, it was a real disruption of a, of a, a team that were in harmony when when you, you have to change six or seven positions. I don't care um, what anybody says. I, I think that that is... That that harms harms a team. If I go back to the year that, that I coached the Birmingham, managed the Birmingham, we played in the Carling Cup and we played some smaller teams in the opening rounds, and I said, right, it's a chance to uh, spread the squad about. And I brought made seven or eight changes, and you're looking I'm actually looking at the team on paper and I'm saying it's a great team actually it's a great team but but then you, you go on and you struck we struggled you know and, and won the game in penalties at, at Birmingham and you know we struggled in one or two of the other ties when I keep kept changing the team and and uh, it's because you don't have that rhythm well well these guys are training every day and training together you think well they must know each other but 
when you don't get that that kind of natural rhythm of playing together with each other for a long time, then you know everybody's habits and what they can do, what they can't do. Uh, and, and that made it a very tough season for me. Alex, um, <laughs> although we're just about to talk about the most famous title triumph in Scottish football history, one that will never, ever be forgotten as long as anybody that was there on that day. I'm getting goosebumps even just thinking about it, never mind asking about it. But people maybe forget that, that there was a wee period earlier in that season where the team was struggling, looked a wee bit short in confidence. And there were two games where the papers were saying that your job might be in trouble. And that was a League Cup game up at Aberdeen. No gimme at all, that one, you know. Aberdeen away yes. for Rangers. And then Maritimo in the, the UEFA Cup, as it was at the time. Did you mm-hmm. feel it? I mean, you, you said that, that David Murray had spoken to you and said, don't worry about it. But did you feel that pressure? And of course, Rangers dig out. Um, Fernando Rickson scores a beauty up at Pitodri and we, we get Aberdeen, yes. through that 2-0 and then of course Maritimo I mean Adam and I were in the ground that night we, we felt the tension as fans never mind as, was that on the table from David Murray or was he just saying to you ignore the papers I know that you've I know you've got this yeah um, no, David I'm I'm sure they would have probably got a wee bit wobbly, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm certain that David and Martin would have did a chat about it, and um, <laughs> you never know if if the penalty the penalty shootout against Maritimo was uh, didn't go the right way, then um, you never know. I might not be talking to you just now, or maybe talking to you about something different. But um, I think. I think that night, you know, when we got through that, then I felt that a wee bit of confidence come back to the team and a wee bit of belief again. And as you say, though, there was that important game against um, Aberdeen up at Pataudry, which made a big difference. And then we, you know, I think we, was it Celtic next? One That was one of the next games yep. come, coming up, which was, of course, probably... The, the the biggie the real it's always the biggie it's always the biggie but that would have been the the biggest one for us oh I think we've lost Adam um, are you alright we lost Adam there I'll be back I'm sure um, so uh, moving on to to later in that season the team starts to get a bit of momentum and up front you've got Dado Perzo, who was a warrior. The guy looked as though he was built for Scottish football. Um, I, yeah. I wanted to ask you in general about French. There was a lot of signings from France about that time, and you found some some real yeah. quality players. Um, and I've always been intrigued by this because you you know the the French game really well. You've done this your your whole career. I, I always wondered if. It's a league that you you liked, or whether it was maybe something from your playing days. Because I remember Eric Black went over to play there for a while as well. And is it some? Is it a league you admire, basically? Yeah, <clears throat> league league one in, in France was. You know, at that time you you could get some bargains, but probably more importantly, when when contracts were finished in France. 
then they were finished. In Scotland, um, I'm not sure about England at the time, but when when I was finishing my career, I know I know that the Bos the Bosmans were in place by the time uh, you know I brought Dado and all that, and but and uh, and even in Scotland. But when I was playing, I, I even at the end of my contract, you couldn't just walk away. You know, there was many times that you know, I've had approaches from people in England. There wasn't a, a, so much the big agency thing there where the agent could go and kick down the door of the manager. You know, I had to deal with Sir Alex Ferguson on my Todd at times and renewing contracts and, <laughs> th- and saying to my wife, I'm, I'm going in to tell him that I want to, I want to move. But you know, in the end, I bottled it and asked him instead for more money, you know, <laughs> and, and probably a tenner rise, you know. So uh, the, these these days, when when um, the markets were open, France was, for me, you know, it was, it was a good, there was a, a definitely a good market in there and you could pick up some good players. Uh, sometimes, not all, not always, but, we, I knew that we were um, looking at the pennies, so I, I had to be very um, fr- fruitful in terms of bringing in the right one. And that is one of the key things in professional football is recruitment. And I, I did learn over the years that you've got to get the recruitment right. And, you, you know, Motherwell, when I... It's, it was very similar to Rangers. Motherwell were finished second after Rangers and Celtic were third. I remember Tommy Burns saying that, that, that Motherwell teams are, are a really cracking footballing team and I'd, <clears throat> I'd like to get Celtic to the levels. And Tommy was at that time um, trying to build the team again. So uh, for him to say that was, was quite amazing. But the second season at Motherwell, I lost, um, similar to, to Rangers' situation, I lost about eight or nine players. You know, Kravokovic was, was done. Tommy Coyne had, had a knee that just couldn't allow him to play anymore. Chris McCart was similar. Um, you know, we, we about nine players out. Paul Lambert left, and he was one of the first to leave on a, a Bosman. And Rob McKinnon as well. So decimated the, the core of the team. And... Uh, I tried to replace Tommy Coyne with a guy who I thought had his great movement and looked as if he, he you know, he, he could have the same kind of traits as Tommy Coyne, but he was only a young guy and didn't have all the answers yet. Then when you see him in the team and it's not quite the Tommy Coyne that you thought it was, that's when I learned all about recruitment. And that's when I, you know, I felt that the, the year before when we bought all those, not bought, all those players, but took all those players in the summer for free transfers and had a miserable season. That the next season we prepared in advance, and that was the key. Dad, so see, see that, yeah, I was going to say so. Purcell and Boomsong, then how, how much, how much far in advance is that? Because Purcell had was running up in the Champions League with Monaco, um, and Boomsong was the next big French star. Was that a big challenge then, I guess, to, to get them over the line and come to Rangers? It was, uh, it was um, around about January, Adam. So it was the previous January, I went across to Monaco to see uh, Dado playing for the French team against Real Madrid in the 
don't know if it was the semi-finals or the quarter-finals, but Dado absolutely battered the Real Madrid defence to pieces. And to know that this guy was wanting to come with all his heart to play for Rangers, was I thought, oh God, I just hope nobody's looking here, you know, I hope that nobody Milan or something <laughs> don't come in here. And, but he was intent on coming to Rangers. And Boom Song, we, we also um, got him through Auxerre and we knew that he was uh, a French international and won a star for the future. And he, he, he was so quick and uh, strong that, uh, that again, he, we, did a, we did the deal in January. We did it well in advance of him coming in the summer. I'm sure it, I'm sure it was in about January. And we obviously, you know, we only held on to Boomsong for, for half a season. But uh, he, him and Dado were two giants to, to come to Rangers at that particular time and transform the team. That 2005 window there you mentioned, obviously that, that amount of money coming in for Boomsong um, after he's only been there four months, I guess sometimes you just need to hold your hand up and say it's it's good business, but um, it is a huge offer, but I guess it definitely cushions the blow when you can go out and bring in guys like Bartiris, Kyrgiakos, Barry Ferguson coming back and, and Thomas Buffel with the money. Obviously it's sad to see someone go after only four months, but I think that cushions the blow a wee bit. <clears throat> yeah, well, well Alex, as you know, Alex, you, sorry, you, Alex, I've got to ask you though. Did you um, go into David Murray when the Boom Song deal went? And they, I want the money this time, right? Come on. <laughs> yeah, hi. Well, well, when we spoke about it, he said, "Alex, listen, we can't refuse that money at uh, this particular time in, in the club's finances." And I, I said, "No, gentlemen, I've never ever um, been against doing anything. I've, I've always backed." And, Back to club in terms of um, where they have to be, and uh, you know, you know, and I've I've just got to go on with it and and still try and keep a winning team, but I, I do need a wee bit of help, and he, you know, he, he says, oh no, there'll definitely be the money's available available to you to strengthen the team. Now, as you know, that sometimes selling a player, one player, and bringing in five or six players to replace him and still save some money into the bargain is sometimes doesn't work and most of the times it doesn't work if you're selling a marquee player and uh, if I can give you an example of uh, Gareth Bale when he left Spurs right, yeah. for 80 million then uh, Pochettino or was Pochettino I think was it the sole bill um the Spurs then went on to bring in about five or six players, and on paper those players look pretty decent. Uh-huh. And but then when you try and marry them all into the team and, and, and the, the first few games, or or you feed one or two in now and again, then you see the 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 gap that has been left by the loss of Bale. And, and it took Spurs quite a wee while to recover and to get those guys into a kind of rhythm. Some of them have done well, and, and I don't know if some of them lasted the course. Okay, so, mm-hmm. so I was on that example of Bale, losing Bale, and then Spurs kind of lose a, lose a maverick, and um, it, it, it spirals them a wee bit, you know, down, 
down further down the table and then it takes them a while to recover. But we made we did some really good business that season with with Brimson going and bringing in Kiriakos, who you know, let's face it, he was he was almost like a a big Scottish warrior as well. He was like the a Dado centre half, you know. Hmm. And, and Dado was was a Kiriakos centre forward kind of thing, you know, two guys of the same ilk. And Barry Ferguson coming back was was um, awesome, and Thomas Buffel as well. So these guys and Ronnie Vatterus, who was a tremendous footballer um, in terms of his passing, and that that was going. That was the next problem for me. You know, the choice between Vatterus and Stefan. Oh, I can imagine having that kind of. Option these days, my or two, two high quality eagle guys, you know. Oh, they were superb footballers, and we we go on, we won the league cup. Um, a thumping, great performance at uh, uh, at Hamden to to beat Motherwell five one. Um, we yes. beat, we beat Celtic away, which we hadn't done for a while, and beat them two 0 Um, with the, the Gregory Vignal and and Nacho Novo yes. goals, and then. Uh, it gets into another one of these. It's going to be an epic title race. Celtic bring in Craig Bellamy, and there's enough time has gone by now for me to admit that Craig Bellamy was actually quite a good player, um, <laughs> and he was tearing it up. And they beat us two one at Ibrox. They're five yeah. points ahead with three games to go. Uh, famously, their fans put up a banner saying we won the league <clears throat> at Ibrox, and. Look, at that point, you've got to pick yourself up. And I remember going, this is why I always laugh when they talk about a winter break in Scotland, Alex, because I don't know if you remember this game, but we went up to Pataudry the following week and the fans were down. We were, we were down. We thought it would, we, we thought it was done. And um, the pitch that day was like a swimming pool. It just would yeah. not stop raining. And Dad Oh, it was horrible, and this is this is April, <laughs> and it looked like it looked like the middle of winter. Um, and Dado Pozzo has just this absolutely unbelievable game. We get a three-one win. Celtic lose, and then all of a sudden, maybe just maybe, um, it's back on. How do you pick the, the players up after that defeat? Because as I say, going to Pataudry is probably the worst place Rangers can go for an away trip out with Parkhead. Um, uh-huh. And how do you say to them, look, lads, you've got to, I don't care, I know it's five points in three games, but you've you've got to give yourselves a chance. Well, well, I think Celtic played the day before, David, didn't they? Aye. Um, they, they played Hibs the day before and lost. And that, that gave us the you know, the kind of motivation, the impetus and a big lift in terms of going to that Pataudry game. Um, I'm sure that that was the, the kind of timeline. They were bang up for it games. that day, Aberdeen. They really came at us. Aye, but, but we, we played we played the Sunday. I think Celtic played Hibs in the Saturday and lost. Aye, yeah. and we were the live and game. Then, yeah, because cause, uh, I remember the bus erupting when we were <laughs> on, on the road. And... Because uh, I kept saying to the players, turn that half, these are all bloody, you know... You'll jinx it. With, 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 with the, <laughs> the ooze and the, the, ooze and the ahs, you know, <laughs> never mind, we'll, we'll find out a score. But they kept it on and then they, they erupted when 
and Hibs had won the game and so that took us if we won at Aberdeen back to two points uh, which um, we went up there as you said there was a quagmire big big daddle ploughed through the Aberdeen defence as if they weren't there and uh, and, you know, it was, a, it was a brilliant victory in terms of our morale again, you know. And, and we we back to Glasgow with the three points and we were only within two now. I remember that, Aberdeen game. I was actually at that one and it was that's the one where Purcell was sliding through the rain, wasn't it? In front of the, it was. in front of the Rangers he, fans, yeah. <laughs> he was dragging defenders. Uh, you know, they were holding on to him, trying to pull him back. <laughs> Plugging right through them. That, that game, wonderful. that game's quite an interesting one because you mentioned obviously how Celtic had lost the day before, but then we scored early on. Ferguson scored. Um, oh God, it must have been the first fifteen minutes or so. But then they Aberdeen equalised, and we managed to get that goal just before half time. I guess that team talk would have been very different if we hadn't managed to if we were in at one each rather than us being two one up. It would have been uh, uh, slightly yeah, different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course, atmosphere changes with every every goal that's scored for or against. Um, and uh, but it, you know, coming into the dressing room, the, the players were were really you know at, at each other in terms of we've got to win this game. You know, we don't want this. We'll regret it for the rest of our lives. And it, it ended up a, a little bit like the same spiel on helicopter Sunday. Um, but that was the. You, you know the the, the war cry at half time, and they they knew that they had to win the Aberdeen game and come away with the three points. And and then the, the you know the bottle that we had in the dressing room, the the, the fierceness of the, the Dados and the Fergusons um, drove everybody on. And then Rickson as well, you know. And then that following week, the games are like you wouldn't have seen because you were obviously, of course, at the the epicenter of this, but. As you, the boys were all heading off to, to Easter Road, even as the fans, um, Glasgow it split all its bars, Alex, where there would be some bars would be showing the Rangers game and some showing the Celtic game. So Aye. Glasgow was like a ghost town because there was nobody in the streets during this, this kind of three hours. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll never forget, nobody will ever forget this. Marvin Andrews, big Marvin, you know, you you you. You got him from Livingston. I think a lot of fans at first were like, really, this guy? Um, that week, I just remember, I thought he could talk me into buying a timeshare because <laughs> for the start of the week, I was going, nah, you know, they're not going to lose. We're, we're not going to do it. But at the end of the week, you know, he had me buzzing. What was he like in the dressing room about this time? Because he, he seemed just utterly convinced. I would, don't worry, it's gonna, we're going to win. Yeah, hard to, to to remember back actually what what happened every day, but it it was never ever without a smile on his face. Yeah, you know, he was that type of guy. And if you looked at if you were in a bad mood and you looked at the beginning, you would see these gleaming white teeth, you know, glaring at you, and with a huge big smile on his face. And you know, it's hard to. To kind of be annoyed at that, you know. So <laughs> he, he was he was a good um, leader in terms of get raising people's spirits and stuff. And we trained, you know, we trained well, knowing we, we had the chance, knowing that um, you know if something. If we the the one thing we concentrated on the whole week was you just got to go to East Road and win. You cannot ever leave 
this this ground without winning that game, and the, and then Celtic don't get the result. That, well, certainly get the result that that would have won as a title. You'll regret that for the rest of your life. So you have to win the game, and and again it was a wee bit like the. In, you know the mind games of when you, you go on a summer break and uh, yeah, sorry one winter training you've got to come back and win if I give you Christmas day off you've got to win tomorrow uh, it's not no question of anything other than a victory and that was the mantra for the whole week in, in, in that Hibs game we knew Hibs were in the verge of Europe so we did have a feeling that if we, we, we could get ahead then you know, Hibs might might be uh, afraid of losing their goals, and they might shut up. They might try and you know stay back. So they were a bit tentative to, in the beginning. And as you know, we we had to go at them the whole game. And then, as you saw at the end, where after the uh, Natchez goal, Buffalo's little run at the, the defence, and. Um, you know, after that, it was Hibs just could not come out <laughs> beyond no, the 18-yard line. And the only sad. thing that was worrying me was was Big, Big Marvin, you know, the, the him that said everything will be OK. He, he kept trying to run out of defence with the ball. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't his 40. It definitely wasn't his 40. And I said, where are you going, Marvin? He says, oh, but the coach there, standing 50 yards behind us, so I must drive with the ball. And... <laughs> I says, Biggin, stay back. And, and him and Kariakos were playing keep ball. And, That's right. Uh, it was I just... the most tense. Kenny Clark said to me one time, he said, Barry Ferguson come up to him when there was five minutes left. And he said, blow the whistle, this is boring. Um, uh, he said, I can't blow the whistle early, Barry. He's like, all right, okay. Um, he said, then the next thing, there's an explosion in the crowd. He says, and Barry runs up to me and goes, how long's left? And he went, ah, it's no boring now, is it, Barry? <laughs> <laughs> what well, was, what well, was it like when that moment yeah. happened, you know, when yeah. you heard it, the crowd explode? As I, as I say, I've said many times, that that was uh, the biggest spine tingler in my life was was um, that roar. And, you know, I obviously knew Motherwell had had scored and <clears throat> you know Barry Barry like just like the, the same day of the treble the, well the, the, the league title victory a couple of years before Barry shouting off the park what's happening what's happening <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously with the, 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 the noise of that Rangers crowd which uh, was something that you know like no other before oh. or ever or, or since <clears throat> then um you know, but but Barry uh, realised obviously that uh, Motherwell had scored, and then there was another roar, and I thought that that was the full time whistle at um, Fir Park, but it was Scott McDonald scoring again. So, you know, this at that moment we knew we'd done it. The celebrations uh, were amazing. Then the referee blew for full time. Oh, what a day! I mean, it was just it will never be beaten because to be. What, four minutes away from no winning the title to then have it all turned around in that space of time was just extraordinary. And at this stage, Alex, you know, 
the first the first title triumph. You've got all these amazing players. You've got this squad. You've 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 turned them into being a good. But but they're a good squad. This squad on paper maybe wasn't as strong as Celtics, and yet you'd overcome them. Yeah, that, that, that's that's a good point. Um, you know, but what, one of the a couple of the overriding factors was definitely that you know we we, we did a good wee bit of preparation and the, the, the previous transfer window, and then again in in January, it, you know David bringing in those helped me to bring in those four four players, that just um, also galvanised the squad again. So, you know, when you look back at it, you think, well, we we weren't the quality wise wasn't the same level as as the two thousand three team, but you know, in terms of never say die, never giving up, then the helicopter Sunday team that that's what they had in their locker. I never um, I was at the game. And I, I was probably the same as you when that second draw came up from the stand. I thought that was one each. I didn't actually find out um, for about two hours that it was two one. It was completely. It was so surreal sitting in the stand and and hearing the noise. Um, and also, you mentioned our game wasn't exactly frantic at this point. Hibs were quite happy, so it's almost <laughs> like you're 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 kind of wanting to watch another game. It was such a pressurised situation, but at the same time. Quite surreal sitting there watching kind of a bit of a non-event going on in the park at the same time. Oh, honestly, see that the first row when Scott McDonald scored the equaliser. That honestly, it's hard. Obviously, you can see it in reruns and stuff, but just to be there on that day and to, to listen to the noise, that noise that was made, that that goal was um, just. Uh, un- unbeatable, unbeatable. Oh, it was just such an extraordinary time. And then the following season, Alex. Now, obviously, it's it's a disappointment, but but even during that, there is this Champions League run, and I don't think it's fair to to end the interview on a low. So I'll maybe swap them about a wee bit if that's okay. Um, and yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. finish up with the Champions League because, as I say, still Rangers' best performance in the Champions League. Um, so I, I think it deserves a wee bit of credit. But um, obviously, during that season, the the league campaign starts to go badly. And we have that famous or infamous, I suppose, ten-game run, no victories. David Murray sort of publicly, I think, puts your job in the line with this. We'll review mm-hmm. it in December thing, um, and I think it became sort of clear during this stage that that a change was going to come, even if it was at the end of the season, which of course he announces yes. later. Is there just a thing with a football manager? You mentioned that Dick Advocate saying to you that I've, I've told them and told them and told them and it's no getting through. Is there maybe a shelf life for a manager where it's just they're not listening anymore? Well, I think there's a shelf life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, Rangers clubs like Rangers and Celtic and uh, other teams of that ilk. Um, you, you know, and in terms of the of of uh, leaving. The club, I'd say to David, uh, uh, you know, listen, I'm going January. We, we'd qualified for the last 16. And he says, no, and Alec, listen, there's no one that I would expect 
to walk the team out uh, against Villarreal other than you. So, you know, I, I said, OK, well, we'll stay at the end of the season. And it, it was a wee bit kind of strange because um, everybody knew and it was out in the open. Normally, you, you associate that kind of decision with foreign teams. You know, they, That's they, right, yeah. I, I, you know, I was a big, um, you know, I bought the World Soccer every month and and then reading about foreign managers and you'd always see them saying things like, um, yeah, the, uh, the coach is going to um, resign at the end of the season or he's going to leave at the end of the season. They've already lined up, blah, blah, blah. So it was getting towards that kind of European um, system and... I thought, well, maybe that's the way our games are evolving as well. But, you know, staying on, <laughs> actually, we had a great second half of the season. If we'd got as many points in the first half of the season we did in the second, we'd have been running close again. Uh, so it, it was good to get a wee bit of um, consistency back into the, the, the team in the second half of the season, get some injury players back. And, you know, that was that was probably the key everything, consistency and uh, confidence again Dado was missing for a wee part of the season too so um, we Dado was there at that time wasn't he? Yeah yeah, he, he did get injured Aye. as you say, he never really recovered, he, he got a knee injury and then That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Aye. So you know, in the end I'm saying well, this has been a a fantastic um, ride, you know, around the roller coaster sometimes. But um, you know, and in essence, when you look back, then you think, well, I didn't do a bad job there at all. Not uh, at all. And, and it, I didn't think the players were getting <clears throat> getting fed up per se. You know, I just felt that we need needed uh, to change things around a wee bit in, in terms of personnel and. Um, it took a couple of years for Rangers to do that when Walker came back. Do you think that fans get bored, Alex? Like, like just never mind. This, they just sometimes crave a new face. Yeah, uh, that, that's that's a good point. You know, uh, <coughs> yeah, um, definitely. The but as I said, I think the big clubs sometimes it's <coughs> it's a shelf life. Alex Ferguson and people like that accepted. Let's talk about that European run then, Alex. That that was obviously a pretty big um, distraction and we did so well to get through, as you mentioned. Um, it might have been more of a distraction if, if Chris Coy's leg had been a couple of inches longer oh, no, in, in Villarreal. Um, that's another kind of sliding doors moment, but that must have been a real highlight of that season or for you. Yeah, my my, my life flashed before my eyes and, <laughs> and boy, he's um, um, cleared my throat. And yeah, the, see what I was saying earlier about you know, we we just still went for every game, even though maybe we didn't have quite that quality. You know, possibly uh, Stephen will be thinking that a wee bit this season that that something you, when you see Rangers in the, in the European uh, scene this season, they've done really well on counter attack. And but but Stephen knows as well as I know that, that in Scotland you just can't cannot play counter attack. You, no. You've got. To, as a Rangers team, you've got to go out and win every game. And in that season, I felt that we we did try and win every game, but we just didn't have quite that confidence or quality 
Um, there, there was some younger guys on this in the team at the time and learning in their trade, but uh, you, you know the the one thing that we did do was in Europe we were pretty tactical and didn't play necessarily to win games, um, but made sure that we stifled the opposition and we would grab our chance, i.e. the game in Porto. And you know, in, in to Milan as well at Ibrox, we, 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 we I wouldn't say we defended in that game, but we it was more um, a very organised structure to allow us to you know get the result that we needed, and and that's the Champions League kind of for me came across more as tactical and and. Um, Rather than than what we did in the league with, with maybe a weekend squad, Lovinkrans is always a player I associate more with 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 you. Um, obviously, Advocate signed him, but he obviously had his, his best time with you the, the eighteen months at the start where he was on fire, and then this Champions League campaign as well. I think he got four goals um, in the group stages and then the, the knockout round. He was a pretty uh, a pretty crucial player at this time. Well. Yeah, you, you, you see what Peter had done before in, in, in games before the the two goals in the cup final, two thousand two, and what he'd done since, and he he was a reluctant conscript when you asked him to play in the wing. You know, he, he just wanted to play through the middle all the time. And when when you think about it, the goals he scored for us, the important goals he scored, he, he did get a lot of them through the middle. And, and playing in you know in an inside forward kind of area you know coming in from the wide and playing inside you know a bit like the in the modern day four three threes the, the wingers come in and play with the centre forward Peter ended up drifting in there quite a lot rather than giving the ball you know at first when I first saw Peter and I first started working with him I thought right He's got some speed. He's just a guy. He's a winger. Give him the ball and tell him to run at the defender. You know, but he was there was much more to him than that. Alex, we worked out one time. Um, believe it or not, the greatest pound for pound signing in Rangers history, and it might surprise you to know that you made it. Um, it was four hundred grand to Dundee for Nacho Novo. And nobody's going to say that Nacho was the best player Rangers have ever had, but he scored twice to take us into the Champions League. So what's that, 20 million? He scored the winning goal in a Scottish Cup final. He got eight against Celtic. Um, He got the goal in Florence to take us to the UEFA Cup final. Uh, What was it like to work with him? (laughs) When you say all that, God... For 400 grand? (laughs) (laughs) No bad, eh? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no. Listen, he was he was a he's a terrific little guy, and he's got the you know the pigeon English and <laughs> and, and you know to, talking to him, and he, he well he's so Rangers orientated. That's not true, yeah. isn't it? You know when you you speak to him and I'm, you know meet, having met him a few times when we were getting in and out to see Fernando in the hospital. Yeah, God rest his soul. Uh, we. We Nacho and I had gone through the times together, you know, with the, the, the history. And he is such a fervent Rangers fan. And so, that, as you said, that is some piece of business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, when you think of, the, we get Dado for nothing, we get 
uh, boom song for nothing, make eight million out of him, and uh, you know there's a lot of really good acquisitions over the years. Walter then went on and brought Yelovich, people like that, Stephen Davis, and mm. to, to get an incredible team going too. So, so that's the key. Recruitment is the key, and especially especially the, how much these guys craved playing for Rangers. Novo got the helicopter Sunday goal as well, which was missing that list and that's well, <laughs> ridiculous amount, I, was, yeah. I was thinking there was something glaringly no. missing there. It's, yeah. it's not bad. <laughs> not bad at all. Alex, no. Alex, you've obviously got great experience working with uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, he's one of the first managers that I ever really remember discussing how he would deal with opposition players tactically. I remember watching Man United 10, 15 years ago and they've got midfields that wouldn't other teams wouldn't necessarily play, but they were there to do a specific job and nullify the opposition. I remember them doing that way before Jose Mourinho and Rafa Brites were, were kind of doing it 15 years ago. Um, was that something that you've learned from him? Is that obviously playing for Rangers, we're probably more concerned about what we do first, but was that yeah. kind of opposition focus something that you did a lot of? Yeah, no, it wasn't. We, we never ever disrespected opposition, no matter who it was. But we, we, we were always confident, especially when you have a certain um, amount of players in your team. That, for instance, you know the, the, the 2003 title winning team, you know that you're going to win more than you're going to lose, if if at all. And that was how confident we were with these guys, you know, at your beck and call. Uh, you know, when you mentioned Sir Alex, yeah, obviously there was there was a lot of, of learning from him. Uh, midfields, even he even experimented with three at the back uh, once when, and then Wallaby um, said, well, listen, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, so you, you get your, your senior players uh, having a say as well. But, uh, you know, if I, if I um, give you an example of... Well, I, I can, you, we spoke about the French League 1. I went to see Gerard Rulli when... And I was at Rangers at the time. I was before that. But Gerard kindly invited me to to watch Leon training for a week. And at that time, they were, they were winning the French League. You know, I think they won three in a row with, with Gerard. And... Um, Chat me him over lunch, and he said, and I said to him, you know, do you, do you get nervous in the dog? Do you, do you still feel this, you know, the feelings you get in your stomach? And you know, I because I get them, and he said, yeah, everybody gets them. He said, and I, I remember Sir Alex as well, even in the Todd's dressing room, and you know, going through the toilet, just always one minute before we went out for for the game, you know, to clear his throat and stuff like that. Um, and Gerard, when asking him that, I said, Do, are you nervous? He says, look, Alec, he says, you are nervous always, he said, but less so when you can look out on that pitch and trust those guys you see on the pitch. Now, he was, he was looking at Janino and all these guys, you know, so top, top, top players. And at the time, I was looking at the De Boers and the Fergusons. And, and so, you know, total trust in these guys. And and then sometimes, you know, you, you 
when you're you're maybe inherited uh, some players or you've you've um, brought some that are not quite the right fit, then that's when you realise that the recruitment thing is is absolutely vital in football. Yeah, last question from me, bringing it back to the current day then. How do you think uh, Stephen Gerrard's doing with Angels? Obviously this season uh, hasn't been as, as successful as we'd ever want it to be, but um, how do you think he's going? And are there any players that, that we've got just now that you'd have loved a shot at managing um, in the current squad? Yeah, listen, I think, um, you know, obviously anybody that's come to Rangers over the last few years is playing catch-up and in terms of, um, you know, Celtic's financial power and and um, them, them winning the league for so many years and, you know, Rangers been out of the league for so many years. And and Stephen, I think, has he's, he's thrown the gravitas. I think the gravitas that goes with being... The Rangers manager, it's is something that you need, and Stevie has shown that. I think he'll they will be, and knowing the the pride of him and Mc, Big McAllister, these these guys will be absolutely hurting badly that, that of the the slide after beating Celtic again in a in an old firm derby, uh, similar to what happened last year of you know, losing out and all those points, you know I. You, you, you would think or Stevie Gerrard he's, he's done everything European Cups won them and uh, played for England so many times that he would come up and um, you know I'm Stevie Gerrard but he's, he's been excellent in the press he's he's been humble and uh, you know you can tell the, the power and the gravitas as I said the gravitas of the man and he'll know um, better than anybody what his team are capable of, what they're not capable of, and what he needs to try and and make sure that these these leagues don't end as early as this. Um, it's not finished yet, of course. We don't know the decisions. Um, they don't end as early, and that they go right to the wire. And I would love them to do something like that and and experience what I experienced at, at Rangers Football Club. Alex, um, what about the what about sorry. the current players then? What about the current players? Is there anyone from maybe the current season that you think would slow into two thousand and two season or two thousand and four squad that you'd love to have had a shot at managing? Um, he's he's wanting you to say Tav Alex because he loves him. <laughs> Governor, he loves them. No, I do. He's he's a very attack-minded uh, player. You know, you he's know, Morris Ross. Probably, Tav would probably have done done um, well in, in uh, my Hibs team in that year the back you know with it, it playing one of the wing back roles so he's, he's very accomplished in, in a, in a, as an attacking full back a modern day full back no doubt about it and yeah, he's, he's a very decent player you know he's he, we, we had um, you know Rickson the heaviest team Arthur Newman ahead of their times you know these, these swashbuckling full backs and Tavernier's one of those as well um, what do you get into that? What do you have got into my team in that day, those particular years? Uh, I'd say no. Told you. Um, I'd say no. But but it may have good a good rubber dub dub. Uh, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> Alex, you know the, the, the best thing about this is we spoke to you for an hour and a half and we thank you for the time that you've you've given us today. We could have gone another 
three times this, and, I've, and, and, <laughs> and, and in terms of your status in Scottish football, that's without even touching your playing career, that's without even touching your post-Rangers career or your pre-Rangers managerial career. I, I do have one cheeky question from a Rangers fan point of view. Uh, I've got to ask, so I apologise, but 1990 uh, title decider, 1991 title decider at Ibrox, uh, Aberdeen, <laughs> Yees were flying. Why did Alex Smith change the tactics that day? Yees went with a weird system I'd never seen yees play before. Well, we, God, what were we doing? We were going 4 4 2 all the time, I think. Aye, they changed and, um, it that day to 4 3 3 for some reason. Aye, I know. Um, I don't know, but I, I think we. Alec, Alec actually, to, to Alex's credit, he discussed that we. we with the players, the senior players as well. We first and foremost, and then he discussed it with the, the squad and reasoned why he was changing it. And, and you know, the reasons came through pretty loud and clear. And I think I don't think anybody, you know, except the guy who were left out. <laughs> you know, I think I, I don't know. Was it Van der Aert? Did he leave him? Or he did. I put him on the bench. Yeah, and. Um, you know, Van der Aert was probably the only one who would, who would have thought, well, I'm not happy with it. But, you know, mostly the way he described the tactics. And, and, and see, it'd be fair, if you, if you look at the game again, we did have a couple of chances. And the, normally the players that missed them would have buried them. Hans Gielhaus and Peter van der Ven had gone through, bank think Hans were ahead there, which would be fantastic in the air, Hans Gielhaus. And then Peter van der Ven had gone through and it was a satirai, um, one on right, and I think the goal saved it or something. But and, and then of course you know by Kately jumping my shoulders that was a foul all day, <laughs> all day long, all day long. <laughs> I, I I spoke to him about that and he said that in the opening minute he told Gary Stevens to whip a ball right on top of the keeper so he could put him into the back of the net. You're not allowed that these right, days, are you? Know. Not allowed that. He done it. Um, you can't do that now, but you go, you, you breathe on the goalie now, and it's a free That's kick. Right. But um, and they did, you know, you, you kind of get away with it. And Big Mike Watt was was a great young goalkeeper, but um, you know Theo would have gave us gave us a boost if he'd come back that day. But Theo felt he wasn't quite ready, which was was a shame. And uh, you know, Rangers. Hard to beat them in the last day at Ibrox with that big fervent crowd behind them. It's much, much the same as I experienced at Easter Road that day. Well, listen, thank you so much for doing this. As I say, it's been a pleasure. One of the one of the things for folks who are listening to this and maybe don't subscribe to our site yet, we have got a, a 60-hour um, look back. At, it's not all in one go. It's, it's in one-hourly episodes where we looked at every single game, every single month of Alex's time at Rangers. And one of the things we wanted to do was to, to get you the credit that I think that for some reason in Scotland, we're very keen to give to foreign managers and we don't seem to yeah. give to our own. Both you and Walter, I think, um, don't get the level of respect that you deserve for your achievements at Rangers. So if, uh, in any way, this helps to uh, get you the credit that that your managerial no, record deserves. Um, I, I, I do feel that, you know, we, we don't get the credit we deserve. 
Um, and even in England, you know, when we won the Carling Cup and, uh, and um, finishing ninth in the Premier League, I felt I would have had more job offers, you know, doing that. But um, you know, that sometimes you kind of reason and figure out why. Well, the biggest uh, the biggest tribute a Rangers fan can ever pay to somebody is to to give you the term Rangers legend, and I think you more than qualify for that. So my thanks to Alex for for doing that. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, boys. That was brilliant. Enjoyed enjoyed the chat. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, why not check out our Patreon site? For as little as the price of a matchday programme a month, you'll get access to loads of Jer's content, including daily updates, tactical analysis, previews and post-match shows, plus an amazing archive covering all things Rangers, including stepping back in time to discuss particular games, managerial reviews, interviews with Ibrox legends, watch-alongs and the odd bit of stuff and nonsense too. Please head over to patreon.com forward slash heart and hand and join thousands of bears on the best value podcast on the world's most successful club. Sports Social Podcast Network.